All right. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining me here on the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse. Very excited to be here on this Monday evening. Uh, we have very special guest in Oida, who is the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. Um, very excited to talk about the updates that we've had since our first uh, session. Uh, but before we begin, I'll go ahead and start with this. Look, measure what you want to improve. And I say that because, you know, I had the opportunity to participate in uh, my second ever 5K event. It was the ATL 5K this past weekend on Saturday. And, uh, you know, out of 2,100 people, I finished 99th overall. All right. So I improved since my very first 5K performance, uh, probably by about a minute, maybe 45 seconds to a minute. Uh, but you know, I wanted to get, I wanted to get a certain time. I wanted to get 24, uh, minutes flat and I, I was off, you know what I mean? I was off for probably, you know, a minute. Uh, but it just made me understand that, you know, although I set a, a goal that was, you know, probably ambitious, I feel, I feel very empowered to get there next go around because I saw how I performed. Now I have, you know, different uh, insights on how to prepare for this next go around. Uh, but yeah, you know, all that to say, if you want to improve at something, set up some metrics, measure it, uh, you know, go back and evaluate what you did measure and, uh, you know, just come back at it a different way. So uh, that's that. I was very excited and happy to share that with you guys. We also have some other participants from the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse join me. So that was also very, very awesome. Um, so without further ado, we do have Oida on the stage. I'm going to let these gentlemen go ahead and introduce themselves, starting with Bryce. Bryce, let the folks know who you are, brother. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jory. My name is Bryce Mungin. I'm the Director of Legislative uh, Affairs for OOIDA in, the Washington, in our Washington, D.C. office. So uh, with myself and Colin, we're uh, you know we're leading White's efforts on uh, Capitalville, on Capitol Hill, anything involving uh, legislation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Colin, how about you, brother? Can you please introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Colin Long, the Director of Government Affairs at Oida. I sit next to Bryce in our office in D.C., and we come up with ways to to help truckers through policy, both on the legislative front and the regulatory. Nice. I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, this is our second go at it. And I feel like a lot of good stuff yep. has happened since. But for the people who were not around, I'm just going to give a, a quick play by play. OK, so we're talking AB5 um, and we we're saying that uh, AB5 is the law that reclassifies workers from independent contractors to employees. Uh, and to do that, we, we have to see about the ABC test. Uh, which basically says unless an employee uh, or unless a person meets all three of these criteria that I'm about to say, uh, you know, they have to be considered an employee. So, number one, they are free from the control and direction of the hiring entity when performing their work. Uh, number two, the work performed is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Number three, the work is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business. Um, and, you know, the second one is the one that uh, there's going to be a lot of difficulties getting around if someone did want to continue to operate as an independent contractor. 
All right. So the the rule, the law is affecting roughly 70,000 owner operators in California. And uh, to date, the only options that were really presented to those people who were independent, uh, uh, excuse me, owner operators were to either move out of Cali, get an authority and change their status as someone who's leasing on to being able to make their own calls and, you know, call their own shots and uh, don't pick up outbound loads. You know what I mean? So uh, just not operate in that area if you're an owner operator. So those are the, those are the basics, I would say, um, from our original conversation. And, uh, you know, like I said, there has been a lot that's transpired since our first discussion. Um, And I just wanted to open it up with either of you gentlemen to say, like, when it comes to Judge Roger Benitez, <laughs> how how important has he been to a widest position thus far? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think kind of what you're referring to is uh, the uh, court's decision and the judge's decision to grant Oida's request to intervene as a uh, petitioner, basically join as a party to the ongoing uh, lawsuit in California. And so it's it's extremely important that we've been able to join the, the lawsuit as a party because this now means that our views will most certainly have a seat at the table. Uh, the views of you know our members and of owner-operators more broadly will be uh, represented as part of this case. And I think that's what's really important is <clears throat> For, you know, I say so many people, but kind of like generally speaking, you know, you have CTA, the California Trucking Association, they're representing the largely carriers, uh, that kind of that perspective in the trucking industry. They're representing the size of bigger business side of the perspective of bigger businesses. Mm -hmm. Then you have the state and the Teamsters representing the union perspective of this issue. And what gets lost so often is the owner operator perspective or those people who actually, you know, they stand to lose, lose out on the business model that they've been using for, uh, for a long time. And so that's why it's so important that, uh, you know, the judge granted our request and why it's so important while we're participating a part of this. And the other perspective that we bring is the interstate perspective in this case. Uh, up to this point, you know, CTA is representing the California, um, you know, California-based businesses. Uh, so we bring, you know, businesses that run into, out of, through California because we have members across the country. So, uh, you know, that decision is important for for a number of reasons, and we're we're glad that the court granted the request. Uh, yes, sir. It seems like he's been an advocate uh, for you guys for uh, quite some time. You know, I'm not saying that you know. I'm not saying too much by that, but if you look at the history <laughs> of what has been said, I, I do think, and I think that the the uh, way he's interpreted has aligned with you guys for quite some time. Um, and you know, it's very exciting to see where we're going with this. Uh, one of the biggest updates since then, though, is the introduction. Uh, well, actually, I'm gonna let you guys introduce it, um, but. To, to segue into it, we have the Fair Labor Standards Act, which mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, created in 1938. OK, and that Fair St- Labor Standards Act uh, essentially was taking into account all the folks who were 
you know, potentially working 40 hours or more and saying, mm -hmm. hey, you guys should do what? Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that one over to you guys. What, <laughs> yeah. What <is> that about? <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes it's better when you do it because I'll get into it and just go way off into the, the deep end into the details. But no, I, I think you're, you're, you're explaining it well. And basically, um, what's happening is Oida has made progress in making sure that employee truck drivers can uh, get paid overtime and they're guaranteed overtime pay like most other blue collar workers. Um, and I should say, you know, what we're about to talk about directly relates to employee drivers, but the, if this legislation were, be, were to be enacted, it would have a broader effect across the trucking industry and a broader positive effect for, for owner operators and drivers across the industry. Because if you're improving wages, improving rates and improving working conditions for employee drivers, we know that's going to, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So uh, to get into a little bit more of the specifics of it, basically, as you, you started to detail, you know, going all the way back to 1938, you have the Fair Labor Standards Act or the FLSA, which is a whole host of labor laws. But as part of that, it required employees to be paid time and a half after they worked 40 hours in a week. Like I'm sure most people know, you know, overtime after 40 hours in a week. But the law carved out uh, at the time, it's been expanded, but there were two exceptions to that law. And one of them was, um, was truckers. It was for employees um, that uh, fell under the authority of the Department of Transportation. Their working hours were under DOT. And part of the thinking with exempting truck drivers was that, uh, you know, we don't want, it's, it's out of safety. We don't want drivers incentivized to work more hours in a week. Um, but, you know, 1938 was a long time ago. A lot has changed in the trucking industry to say the least. Uh, you know, especially with deregulation in the 80s, uh, you have a case where instead of, um, you know, making sure that drivers don't work too many hours, uh, the exemption from overtime has really resulted in drivers' uh, time being devalued. And now we, as we know, drivers work 50, 60, 70 hours in a week. So uh, to put it shortly, the, the overtime exemption um, devalues truckers' time. It makes truckers treated differently than most other blue-collared workers. And uh, the bill that were, has been introduced, it's um, the Got Truckers Act. Uh, it's very simple legislation. It would uh, it would eliminate that exemption, so it just would strike the exemption um, under current law that you know says that drivers don't have to be paid overtime. So you know I, I'm sure we'll get into the details more, but that's it. It's really you know as we think of it, about as simple as it gets. It's just eliminating a provision in law. We in a lot of ways thinks it's it's a it's a deregulatory thing when you think about it. You know we're not creating new regulations. We're not trying to regulate pay, but we're just saying, hey, make sure truckers are treated like everyone else, and it'll solve a lot of the issues that we see in the industry with pay, working conditions, and a lot of other things. So so that's it in a nutshell. Colin, I don't know if you have anything else to add. No, I, I feel like you're the play-by-play the -play guy, Bryce, and I'm just here for color commentary. <laughs> well, you can add your color commentary if you like. <laughs> uh, and I guess I should say that, that you know, the reason... Um, you know, we're, we're kind of the, focusing on this again. One is because uh, the legislation was just introduced in the Senate by Senator Padilla from California um, back, uh, it's about a month ago now, but in September, and we had Congressman Andy Levin introduce the same legislation in the House back in the spring. So we have a bill in the House, 
have a bill in the Senate. And why we thought it would be appropriate to talk about this with you and, and your audience is to show that, um, you know, what a white is trying to do is improve, protect the business, protect small business trucking, but also improve the, the small business environment and improve working conditions for all truckers. So while, um, you know, we're trying to protect that independent contractor owner operator model, we're also, uh, you know, pursuing policies that one, we just think are good policies. It makes sense to, you know, treat drivers the same way as everyone else. But two, we're trying to do things that are, um, you know, I think people don't often think as trucking as like, not not saying we're pro-labor, but pro-worker, you know, we're, we're trying to do things that will help to improve compensation for drivers. So I think that's, that's why we wanted to, to bring this up and just kind of mention it to, you know, talk a little more broadly about what we're doing for, for drivers and compensation. And, and Bryce, just to be clear, I, I think it's important to clarify that uh, mm -hmm. the Fat Truckers Act and the, the, the removal of the exemption in the Fair Labor Standards Act would only apply to employee or company drivers. Yep. So if you're, yeah. if you're an owner operator, this largely won't have an impact on you. And I only say largely simply because we think it might actually improve rates for folks. If, if, if shippers and receivers are suddenly having to account for potential overtime pay, uh, like Bryce said earlier, we think a, a rising tide lifts all boats. It might actually mm -hmm. improve conditions for owner operators as well, because people will finally start uh, having some sort of uh, financial uh, stake in the game uh, when it comes to to providing compensation for drivers. So there are certainly going to be uh, secondary benefits to this. And we think that's one of them. Another one we obviously think will be uh, a reduction in detention time. I know we, detention time is is an increasing problem in our industry. If, if anything, Congress should be <laughs> stepping in to take uh, to take steps to, to remedy the, the excessive detention time our members are wasting waiting to be loaded and unloaded. We think this proposal will actually decrease a lot of that time because it finally puts value on all the hours a trucker of, of, of any classification puts into moving freight. So uh, we think there's a lot of good associated with this bill that will affect folks who aren't necessarily the target audience, who aren't necessarily company and employee drivers who will be directly affected. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sirs. Uh, I truly appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I treat, I appreciate that because, you know, this has even affected me and my business, you know, as the owner of Atlanta Dispatch. I do have a particular brokerage that I use or, you know, at least I partner with uh, every single day. Every day out of the week, I'm moving some type of freight for them. And because they own a warehouse that is, you know, notorious for having, you know, long hold times, they just said they're no longer going to be paying attention at all. And, um, hmm. you know, it's because if they do, they take a loss on every load. And, you know, it's my job to be fair to, uh, you know, both sides of the coins. I represent the trucker. You know, that's my job as a dispatcher is to get the highest rate for hmm. the carrier. Um, but I do understand the position of the warehouse prayerfully like you gentlemen just said, uh, you know, this coming into a account will actually uh, put more attention on increasing, you know, making a more robust infrastructure so that, you know, that detention time is not happening as consistently. And um, uh, were you about to say something? No, oh. keep going. You're on a roll. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So look, I did want to ask this, you know, in mm -hmm. you guys' opinion, 
Is there anybody uh, in particular that still believes that uh, this exemption, uh, let's talk about the exemption itself or the provision. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, I believe, the provision of section 207, and it says that the title shall not apply to respect to, uh, you know, so the maximum hour requirements will not apply to any employees with respect to whom the Secretary of Transportation has power to establish qualifications and maximum hours of service pursuant to the provisions of section 31502 of title 49. Now, with that being said, do you guys know anybody in particular that still believes this, this exemption uh, is valid all the way from 1970? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but, you know, carriers who don't treat their drivers well or who don't want to have to deal with paying overtime or have to start worrying about paying their overtime to drivers to drivers have, uh, you know, come out in opposition to this. Um, so, you know, it's not a surprise to us that carriers would uh, oppose this. Um, and again, that's that's a general statement from what we've seen. The you know the uh, American Trucking Associations they kind of sent around a, a, a quote unquote fact sheet about what the effects of this would be and how it would be problematic. Um, and you know what they what they're saying is you know look drivers already get paid well. They already we already factor in detention time and waiting time when we're paying drivers you know by the mile. Um, and they, you know, kind of try and say this will re-regulate trucking um, and a number of other, you know, kind of things that they throw out there. But, I mean, I, I think the bottom line is it, it, it's just kind of talking in circles. We know that drivers are not you – mileage-based mileage pay does not account for detention time. There's no way that if, you know, you get held up for an hour or two, your, your pay is, is suddenly going to change on the back end because you were held up for that time. Um, and we already know that carriers are tracking every mile that drivers drive, every hour, every minute that they work. So we know they have all of this information. Um, and implementing it certainly would take some changes uh, and it would be an adjustment. But just because it might be a little bit difficult or it might mean that things have to work a little differently doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. You know, just because something's been, you know, cheating drivers out of pay and devaluing their time for this long doesn't mean we should keep on doing it. Um, so, you know, we know that, uh, carriers aren't fans of this and, and I apologize, Colin, I can't remember who it was that made the comments. It was a, it was actually a, um, a group or, uh, someone representing shippers or at least, you know, speaking to a group of shippers. And they basically said, if, if this were to take effect, uh, there's no way we could pay drivers for all their time. Like it wouldn't be sustainable. So we know that they know, uh, that the, the system works for them right now. And why would they, why would they want to change that? I guess it's kind of, if, you know, if I were in their shoes, sure. Why would I want to do something that's going to make it more expensive for me to, to, to run my business? Yeah. They'll often say, well, well, who's going to pay for this? And, and we'll tell them, we'll, we'll remind them, you know, drivers are currently yeah, exactly. by not getting compensated for all the time they work. We're not getting even fairly compensated if they are accounting for all the time they work. So, uh, we think the, the the burden shouldn't be on us to say how people are going to pay for it. It should be on those opposing this to say, well, why aren't you make why aren't you paying your drivers a, sustain, a sustainable wage? Why aren't you paying drivers 
in a manner that that reduces your turnover below 90% to 100% annually? And, and those are the questions that, that should be asked. And I think that helps expose the kind of inherent unfairness of compensation in the trucking industry right now for drivers. And I, I think just the one thing to kind of add to this um, is, you know, we've been asked, like, what do you, th- like, how would this work? What would happen if this were to go in effect? And those are obviously very fair and good questions. And I think the number one thing that we've been saying is it would finally force everybody in the supply chain, you know, carriers, first of all, but shippers, receivers, warehouses, or everyone else to value every hour that a driver works. Um, we also think that it may lead to increased compensation for drivers because if they're now eligible for overtime pay, uh, obviously if they're working more than 40 hours a week, they may see increased wages after that point. But we also aren't naive. We know that if this were to take effect, carriers would likely rework their rates um, to account for this change and drivers would probably be taking home maybe similar, but maybe a little bit, bit more pay. But we think that the bottom line is finally, this, you know, someone would be on the hook if a driver's kept longer uh, than they should be. So even though a carrier may we rework rates and you know, may try to account for these changes, if a driver gets held up, that means they'll finally be compensated a little bit more for that time. So uh, again, I think you know, we expect there will be some changes that may not be an enormous change to the bottom line compensation, but I, we think the bigger change will be in the way that driver's time is finally respected. And hopefully, you know, maybe you're taking home the same amount of pay, but you don't have to work 60, 70, 80 hours in a week to get that. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I definitely hear you guys. Uh, let me just throw this out there. You know, mm-hmm. just like there's a minimum wage in certain areas and maybe certain fields, do you feel like there should be like some minimum structure to the compensation of drivers and you know when it comes to that whole concept of uh giving them more and that's how you you retain them like that just be the sweetener on top i mean <laughs> we're both gonna point to each other probably but no i mean i think oh i have i have a good thought but i don't know if you had one too Go for it. Let's see where this goes. I mean, I was going to say, I think this is kind of our answer to any sort of, um, yeah, you know, I question of should there be some sort of minimum wage or minimum rate in the trucking industry? I mean, technically, drivers are supposed to be paid the minimum wage, and you know, but the federal minimum wage doesn't come out to, to very much, especially for the work and the hours that drivers are putting in. Yeah. But with the overtime, by eliminating the overtime exemption, we think. That's kind of like, you know, letting the the market and let, letting the industry take care of some of those issues. You know, um, that's, that question you just asked is something that we've discussed among ourselves, among our board members, with our, with our members is, you know, should there be some sort of minimum pay for detention time or should there be some sort of minimum rate or something like that? And the challenge is you'll find pretty much a different answer from everybody. Um, and you'll find a lot of people are like, do not get the government involved in this issue at all. That's the last thing I want. Yeah. So by having by eliminating this exemption, I mean, you're kind of accomplishing some of those goals. You're just, it's a way for allowing drivers to be paid more fairly, but you're not putting in some new crazy idea. You're just saying, hey, why not treat drivers like most other employee <laughs> workers? So I think... This is kind of, we think, one of the best ways to, you know, improve rates and kind of get people to pay attention to those things without having to put, 
you know, a, a number to it. And Colin, I don't know if you have a different thought. No, that's perfect. If anything, this would avoid the necessity to require a minimum wage. Yeah. I mean, that's ideal. Certainly, there will be challenges to that, but that's that's the general thinking that you're going with, Price, and I think you're right. No, I love it. I mean, it does make me think about just the normal operation of an owner-operator or one of my clients of uh, those accessorials. You know, uh, you, you brought up a good point of what if there was a minimum amount or mm-hmm. required amount for detention pay. I do think it's slightly, you know, rude still that things like tow news truck orders not used they don't have uh there's not a there's technically not a minimum there you know you can do a lot of driving to get to uh, a shipper in good faith thinking that the load is going to be uh good Mm -hmm. and now you you know you've consumed all this fuel all this time all of this wasted opportunity that could have gone to another opportunity a high paying opportunity but you're at the whim of the broker you know and whatever regulations they have in their their broker carrier agreement uh to say how much that time and that energy and that fuel to get to that shipper is worth if the load is no longer uh good you know what i mean so uh it, it's crazy that i see a, a tonu going anywhere from a uh, hundred and fifty dollars to six hundred dollars you know it's it's, mm-hmm. it's it's too wide a range especially when we're not valuing the uh, the opportunity that was lost. You know what I mean? The cost of that opportunity of taking that and it not going through. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really a huge guy on regulation, mm-hmm. but I do see how it could benefit uh, at least some of my clients, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm very open. Yeah, and we often get comments from members that uh, they want they want us to avoid additional regulations and they see this as as us pushing for for more government intervention in the industry we contend it's the opposite i mean we're trying to get rid of a regulation that is is entirely outdated no longer makes sense for the industry and prevents a lot of folks in in trucking from from being compensated fairly so if you're if you're for reduced regulation uh, you got to be for the god truckers act because it's literally getting rid of an outdated policy that no longer has any sort of reality in, in trucking. Nice, nice, nice. So look, if the individuals who hear this uh, in the future, the fleet owners who hear this, if they're also in favor of this getting passed, what would you, uh, what would the call to action be? It, it's going to be reaching out. I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. It's reaching out to your Lawmakers in Washington, D.C., in both the House and the Senate, like Bryce mentioned, we've got bills in both chambers now, uh, reaching out to your members of Congress and your senators and telling them uh, to support the efforts. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of winding down the legislative year this year, which is unfortunate because had we had these introduced a little bit earlier, uh, we may have, have had a little bit more success getting them through uh, the Democratic-controlled Senate and, and House, to be quite honest. But uh, we're already lining up folks to introduce the bills in 2023. Uh, I'm not sure what the political atmosphere will look like, uh, but we'll still need support from a number of House members, a number of, of senators. And, and, and while we have a bipartisan bill in the House, it's primarily Democrats supporting us on these issues. And we think there's opportunities to appeal to Republicans uh, to get them on board, but that won't happen without truckers 
picking up the phone or getting on their computer and reaching out to these elected officials who represent them in Washington and saying, you know, it's time to get rid of this outdated requirement that only affects me and, and treats me differently uh, than other folks in, in a blue collar industry like trucking. So it's advocacy, it's grassroots advocacy. That's what makes the difference. I got you, I got you. Let me ask this about this, uh, you know, the uh, GOT Truckers Act. It mm -hmm. does feel good to be kind of like in the in alignment or, you know, the same goals to have the same goals with Teamsters. And, you know, it, does it feel good to be working towards the same thing? I mean, I, we, you know, we, sorry, Bryce, we, no, we agree with others in our industry and we fight others in our industry yeah. on a daily basis. This just feels natural to us. I mean, uh, if the Teamsters are, are prioritizing making sure that drivers are compensated fairly and, and, and their wages allow them to have really fruitful careers in trucking, we're going to be right there with them. But, you know, we're going to battle them on th things like AB5, where it, where it, jeopardizes the classification that our members like and you know uh we'll be with the california trucking association and the ata on the ab5 issue but when it comes to to compensation and overtime pay we're gonna we're gonna fight them tooth and nail so uh, the beauty of oida and sometimes the, <laughs> the frustration of oida is we are the wild card in trucking we'll we'll work with folks uh when we see eye to eye and and we'll fight you tooth and nail on other ones you know, I did notice that, uh, you know, a lot of the people <laughs> that you are supporting and are supporting you, uh, you know, be being able to be an intervener with AB5 <laughs> are some of the same people that are opposed to this this act. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting. I wanted to hear your perspective. And I, I thought it was funny because it's just like, how do you balance, you know, do you guys, you know, if, if you were to have a conversation with some of the thought leaders at some of those other organizations those memberships would you know would it all be pleasant or would you would spew over to something that uh you know now you're now you're bumping heads you know is that is that the <laughs> the climate yeah i mean we we talk to these organizations all the time whether it be uh collaborating on issues where we do see eye to eye or just just trying to to get a better understanding of why they oppose some of our efforts and, and why we fight them on some of theirs and and these conversations happen routinely, I mean, all the time in Washington. And frankly, it, it it's just the nature of the advocacy world, I think. I don't think this is necessarily uh, limited to trucking. I think this happens in, in all kinds of industries, and we're really no different. But the difference is that, that OIDA really uh, represents the small business interests in trucking. And I think that's that's fairly unique as far as industries are concerned. Uh, there aren't necessarily so many industries working here in Washington to, to, on behalf of their members uh, where you're kind of exclusively representing the interests of, of small businesses and people who make their, their living behind the wheel. That's what makes OIDA unique. And that's what, that's what <laughs> forces us to work with some of our enemies and, and fight some of our friends. And, and it at least keeps things interesting. And I think uh, from our perspective, we're fairly straightforward in our advocacy. People know where we're going to come down on a lot of these issues, but we still have the conversations with our friends and with our enemies. And and that's just the way you get results, I guess you could say. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, look, you did mention AB5. So let's just uh, go back there for a second. You know, uh, because there are some things that are coming up, uh, you know, as a result of AB5. And 
um, you know, some of the companies, some of the carriers that were allowing owner operators to lease onto them are now being forced to decide what they are going to do to stay compliant. You know, and it seems as though there's been a few models uh, that people are starting to move towards. Uh, one being every driver, every owner operator uh, becoming an employee. Uh, we also have that two check model where, you know, they're getting a paycheck for doing the work. But if they had their own truck, they were also receiving a check for essentially leasing it to that company. So the two check model. And the third one is that transportation company that was allowing folks to lease on to them uh, now moving towards the brokerage model. And, you know, do you guys have any particular opinions about either of those three i mean the one that i want to talk about the most is that last one the brokerage model but you know are there any thoughts on what you think is the best if people did have to you know make a decision i think it, bryce you may have a different opinion but i think it's difficult to to tell people to go one route because of mm -hmm. the diversity of operations and, and what people are comfortable doing i think it's also fairly early in the implementation of the bill uh, to determine what may work best for folks. I think people are still kind of guessing because there's that lack of clarity coming from California. We're not even sure what types of plot twists there are down the road on this issue. So Bryce, am I wrong in saying that, that it's difficult to pinpoint one strategy that'll work for everyone? No, you're 100% right on that. And I think especially because of the last point you mentioned, which is we don't know <clears throat> We don't know how the state's going to enforce the law yet. We don't know how the court is going to interpret the state's enforcement of the law. So, uh, from what we've from what we've seen and kind of what we've heard out of the state, those models that you mentioned, Jory, are those solutions, whatever you want to call them. Those do seem to be ways to be compliant with the law. But we, you know, it's still we don't know one hundred percent. We don't know how the state's going to what they're going to do. But as a result of our ongoing challenge to the law, you know, we may learn something or the court may decide something that, uh, you know, opens up another possible way for people to be compliant with the law. Uh, you know, there's that business to business exemption that's in AB5, which is basically, you know, if you'll bear with me for a second, a 12, I forget, it's either a 12 or 13 part test that you have to pass. And if you meet every one of those 12 requirements or 13 requirements, then you can go run the old classification test to see if you're an employee or independent contractor. But long way of saying there's a, there's a lot of different things that I think are yet to be decided for the court and for the state to kind of decide how are we going to interpret each one of those business to business requirements. So um, I think at this point, you know, our, I don't, I don't think we're like necessarily giving advice to, to people, but I think the advice is kind of just to, you know, to wait and see what comes out of this. It's not our sense that the state is moving to crack down on, you know, a small owner operator immediately right now. And then I also think the thing that bears repeating too, is for owner operators, um, you know, the, the penalties and the burden for compliance falls on the carrier. So if you're an owner operator that uh, is with a carrier, um, you know, and the court, you know, somehow finds that, you know, the carrier is in violation, it's not like the owner operator is going to see penalties. Certainly it's a big concern for the owner operator, 
how do I manage my business and continue to operate in the state? But um, just kind of putting this all out there to, to show that there's a lot that still needs to be worked out and figured out. And um, certainly now is the time to be trying to figure those things out, trying to get answers, and we're pressing our case in court. But I don't think we're at the point yet where, you know, uh, you know, the state's moving in ready to like put big penalties on owner operators or anything like that. Yeah, and Bryce, I think moving forward, there has to be this this kind of back and forth relationship between OIDA and our members and truckers mm -hmm. at large. I mean, we are are intimately involved in this issue. Yeah. Uh, we will pump out information as yeah. we get it. We will provide insight and and guidance when we can. But we also need truckers to relay what they're experiencing yeah. to us, what they're being told by uh, motor carriers, brokers, whoever is telling them what they need to do uh, to, to be compliant in California. Let us know because that will help us uh, figure things out for, for all of our members and for truckers who use us as a resource. So uh, I hate to say stay tuned because we're, we're now in the implementation time period, but things still need to be worked out. Uh, if you hear things, let us know, and we will continue to pump out information on public platforms, but also to, to our members as well. No, I completely understand where you uh, guys are coming from. Uh, and I don't I want you to feel crazy because that, that is where we are. We're still waiting to see how it's going to be enforced. Um, so, no, you, you make some very good points with that. Um, you know, from the dispatcher perspective, when I was learning how to dispatch, when I was working for a corporation, uh, this is what I was getting to when it, when I saw the brokerage um, way of doing things for a, for a trucking company to then go add on a brokerage authority was I was told if I saw both of those on the same MC or a company that had both of those uh, mm -hmm. licenses or those those authorities to stay away from them, you know, and mm -hmm. stay away from them because they have all the all the fixings and trimmings and all that stuff to be a, a double brokerage operation. And, yeah. And not to mention that California is a hotbed for folks who operate in that market, you know, especially ones that uh, do a lot of virtual assistance from different locations across the world. You know, I've learned that, you know, in other places, double brokerage, um, they just believe that it's a normal part of the game. Um, you know, and it's just because uh, the information that they're being force fed. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how this is going to play out because of that. I, I actually somebody reached out to me today and was asking me about my dispatch services. And I asked them for their MC and I saw they had both of those things, you know, just a small carrier out of the Atlanta area. And, it, you know, I'm not my first thought was, oh, I don't, you know, this is, this is suspicious, but at the same time, it did make me think about my training of, you know, this person uh, may have the ability to do some double brokering. And that's not something that I can be a part of as a, you know, a dispatch agent. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I was going with that. And, you know, you guys have a lot of members that are in the California area. I know that people who have memberships with you get a lot of good perks, especially when it comes to, you know, tires, I'd imagine with trucks too. Um, but I bring that up to say that, you know, with the California Air Resource Board's decision to, you know, kind of make more stringent 
requirements on the vehicles that can be used in drainage um, opportunities. Mm -hmm. I believe that next year, um, going into 2023, the oldest model vehicle that can be used in the drainage arena is a 2017. You know, how do you guys feel about that? Are you going to have resources um, for the owner operators to kind of to get newer equipment, um, you know, in light of this more stringent requirement? Uh, that's, uh, that's tough to answer. I mean, we, we, we won't necessarily be able to help you get vehicles, but uh, we certainly will raise concerns with California about what type of impact uh, policies like that will have, policies that just go entirely too far. Because I think, I think there's kind of a disconnect going on in California where people don't realize that uh, trucks are extremely, extremely expensive. For someone trying to operate a business with a truck or a, or a handful of trucks, uh, that could that could destroy their business simply because uh, they are probably operating older trucks, more tech, probably more efficient trucks. So it, it's difficult to to not fight requirements uh, that will continue to drive up costs. Uh, for small businesses and for owner operators, so I, I don't know. I don't think we'll be able to help <laughs> those folks purchase trucks, unfortunately. Uh, but we're certainly going to continue to to fight policies uh, that make the cost of operations so much higher. And we know that California uh, continues to kind of lead the charge on these issues, and and they want uh, the the cleanest vehicles imaginable to be to be using their their roads and, and entering and exiting their ports. But sometimes that's just not practical, and sometimes it has real world implications on a lot of folks who make their living in that industry and have have businesses in that industry. So we'll continue to be advocates for for small business truckers on that front. But I wish I could give you <laughs> some better, some better incentives and some better promos to to help lessen the blow. No, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. And you know, this one right here is a, a little bit more tricky to me. Um, and I say that because of before I say this, <laughs> <laughs> I am not an expert. I'm not a scientist. And I've seen only seen very, very little pure data. Okay. So take this with a grain of salt, everybody. <laughs> but you know, it's just that concentration of areas that that have the vehicles, um, the communities that have more sure. diesel uh vehicles uh operating in that area, you know, it's a little it, it's poor quality uh, you know, air. You know, it is bad, it is worse. Mm -hmm. And um you know, I, I forgot where I heard this from. Maybe I got it from my wife. We were talking about uh, kids that roll school buses or something uh, about the amount of exhaust that people are exposed to and what it ultimately does for the community, for the environment, and just the health of that individual as a whole. Um, so because I had just that little bit of seasoning, mm -hmm. you know, it makes me say, I don't know what to do, you know, because... yeah. I care for the, the small trucking company that I know is barely making ends meet, but they're pushing and pushing and pushing, um, you know, while also wanting to have a, a cleaner environment. So I'm a little bit torn on this one myself. Well, I think one, one solution that that's kind of being overlooked is improving the efficiency within our ports. I mean, I think everyone can agree uh, having trucks 
spending amount of, the amount of time they do waiting to be loaded and lo unloaded could be reduced, and that would probably uh, contribute to cleaner air. I, I, w I would assume. I mean, I'm sure there are studies on this, but take this with a grain of salt as well. But you think if you can improve efficiency getting in and out of the port, uh, maybe you can allow some of those small businesses to continue to run trucks that that frankly have pretty modern and clean engines. I mean, if we're talking about 2017, there were there were EPA emissions requirements that were pretty stringent put in place before that. I mean, we're we're squeezing kind of the last drops out of the grapes with with emissions reductions. But I mean, why why do we continue to to focus on uh, the technology and, and and what the driver is operating rather than how efficiently they are getting in and out of the facility? And just to, I only want to bring this up too because it's uh, pretty recent. But I was just, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, from the last two days that followed a, a driver working at an intermodal or, or around an intermodal intermodal facility in Chicago, and he was with the chassis shortage. Basically, he had to go like drive 40 minutes one way to to pick up um, uh, to pick up a chassis that had a had a um, had a cargo container on it and they go drive it somewhere else just to unload that to then drive back to where he needed to be to pick up his original load. Um, you know, long way of saying he'd spent tons of time just driving around and waiting uh, because of the, how things are all, you know, goofed up, thrown out of whack, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But it kind of gets back to two things that we're talking about. One, you know, all these inefficiencies that cause extra emissions that you don't need, but also all this enormous amount of time that's being wasted by drivers and drivers oftentimes bearing the cost for that. So uh so i think um you because know and the law allows that to happen bryce you're, you're missing the biggest part here i mean we're trying to sure we're trying to get rid of the situation where the the driver has no value associated with the hours he or she spends working so to the to the even bigger picture i mean this is because people have no financial incentive uh to pay drivers for the time they work and to to improve efficiency within the supply chain and sorry, Bryce. <laughs> no, and sorry, and I, I don't want to make too long of an answer, but kind of to bring it back around, Jory, to what you were talking about and kind of just these regulations, you know, in California specifically, um, a lot of time what happens with these is there's just so many unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're talking about the, um, you know, the emissions regulations, the CARB regulations. Part of, part of the result of what happened with previous car regulations that went into place is things like lease purchase agreements and carriers trying to basically take advantage of drivers because drivers needed these new trucks but had no way to pay for them. And so uh, that just opens up opportunities for people to take advantage of drivers. And kind of same thing as we look at what's going on with AB5, we're, we're questioning, are there going to be ways that people are kind of quote unquote work around this or are there new unintended consequences like owner operators having to get their own authority, having to get their insurance uh, to, you know, now operate as their own carrier, which results in a lot of costs for small businesses. Um, so it kind of makes you wonder who is this ultimately helping and what we're trying to do and call and touch on this, but with the representation that we bring out of WIDA is bring truckers voice to those conversations and try and say like, Hey, there's you know these really bad consequences that are going to happen that you're not hearing about from the large carriers because they can absorb some of these costs, or you're not hearing about from the Teamsters because they stand to to benefit from where some of these changes may be. So I think that's what we bring at Oida is that perspective 
that, I mean, that's obviously what we do is bring that small business trucker perspective, but to try and help get ahead of these unintended consequences that we can see coming, but everyone else either doesn't see or wants to ignore. Yes, sir. Well, look, man, um, I, I thought those were great answers. Oh, my bad. Were you about to say something, Colin? No, I just said amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bryce really nailed that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I had a guest last week, last Wednesday, Luis Molina of Canteneros. He worked the ports for over 10 years. And, uh, you know, I was asking him about some of the stuff that he wished he would have kn- um, known when he got started. And, you know, uh, Bryce, you, you said the the owner operator, the lease agreement uh, so that he could get a, a better truck was one of the things that he would advise people against because yeah. you know, he got taken advantage of. So, you know, I hear you with that one for sure. Yeah. And, and I also have to kind of put a, a shameless plug in here too, for, you know, for what we do at Oida, you know, one of the other things is, you know, we offer business services to our members. So for drivers that are thinking about getting their authority or, you know, thinking about getting into a lease purchase, which I think usually we say, don't do that. But for anyone who's thinking about those things, you know, you can call us up. Our business services can help to answer questions. You know, we're, uh, you know, we have around three, 300 employees and we're dedicated to serving truckers um what we have also just to take another example uh you know we offer something called truck to success where it's like a three-day seminar that is kind of like a, a crash course on what you should know before you decide jumping in to the industry as an owner operator uh i think you know registration unfortunately is closed for the one we have coming up at the end of this month but we run that every you know we run that program regularly so those are the tri- kind of things that we also offer to our members is just really a lot of information in addition to some of the other you know, like other services like fuel cards, things like that, but just information and assistance is, is really what we try and do for our members. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I love it. Um, you know, if you guys were interested in becoming members of OIDA, uh, definitely reach out to these brothers or you can go directly to the website. I'm pretty sure they're going to have all those details all nice and neat for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did want to put this out there. If there were any folks that were, able to ask any questions that maybe they had anything they wanted to get answered uh this would be the time i'm gonna leave that open for about 30 seconds um and while you know that marinates i'm just gonna say brothers bryce colin i truly appreciate you guys coming back on to uh you know let us know what the updates have been since august i think that we're we're definitely progressing and, uh, you know, I'm excited to see where this bad boy goes. And, you know, from here, I'm still just very, very happy to uh, highlight all of the, you know, the wins, maybe, you know, some of the L's that people take as well. Um, you know, I'm just very happy to stay, uh, you know, on this subject uh, so that we can, uh, you know, just bring the information to the people. And uh, if there was anything that you guys needed from me, let me know. I am going to go ahead and turn off hand raising because uh that was 30 seconds um (laughs) (laughs) you know it's that simple (laughs) but uh did you fellows want to say anything before we close out the room tonight i would just say that you know we've been talking about these these classification and compensation issues but that is only scratching the surface of what we do here in washington for truckers i mean we're we're continuing to push uh, for truck parking 
resources being being devoted on the federal level to expand truck parking capacity. We've had some good news come out of DOT recently about some big grants. Uh, they have awarded to Florida and Tennessee to build truck parking capacity. It's a good start. We need more. We need truckers to continue to weigh in with their elected officials in Washington about the need for safe, reliable, dependable truck parking. Uh, but even those are kind of our, our big issues. But, you know, we work we work to improve broker transparency. Uh, we work to to reduce regulatory burdens that 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 cost our members too much money and don't really have safety values. So uh, we're happy to talk about these classification issues. They're they're very timely. They're very important. But but we do a number. <laughs> we work on a number of issues that are are very timely and very important to truckers. And you can check all that out on awida.com. You can visit Fighting for Truckers. That's our advocacy specific page for more information on how you can get involved in advocacy as well. And we really encourage folks to do that because, uh, you know, lobbyists can get a lot done here in Washington, D.C., but so can constituents who pick up the phone and call their elected officials. I, I know a lot of folks are jaded about the government, but sometimes those conversations and those relationships can really uh, have great value for, for what we're trying to do on behalf of drivers. So I encourage you to do it. Yes, sir. Well, I truly appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I also want to, I might want to have you guys back, not only to talk about 85 and, uh, you know, GOT, but I might want you guys to talk about that transparency uh, situation that's going on, uh, sure. you know, to, to strike that ability for uh, the trucking company to get access to some of those those uh, documents and some of those facts and figures uh, on all the loads that they move. So um, just just keep that in your back pocket for the next time. <laughs> and uh, Bryce, did you want to say anything before we close out, brother? No, I think Colin covered it all. But again, uh, we just encourage uh, anyone who's interested or think they might be interested to you know go to our website ooida.com uh to look at becoming a member and also even if you're not a member fightingfortruckers.com as colin said is our advocacy specific webpage. sign up for emails there and we pump out tons of good information um you know on these like the big infrastructure bill we put together documents with each specific section that deals with small business truckers so um, we make sure to to really dig down in details and also let uh, anyone who signed up there know how they can comment uh, on regulatory uh, things that are uh, regulatory items that are issued, uh, legislation, everything like that. So just uh, a great way to to stay involved through uh, through the resources we offer. All right, perfect, perfect. Well, gentlemen, uh, I'll just say thank you so much again, and I pray you have a strong week uh, for the members of the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse. Uh, join us on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be here on Wednesday discussing more of global logistics. Um, so we're going to be talking with an NVOCC. Uh, if you don't know what that is, this will be the time to find out. So join us uh, Wednesday, 7 p.m. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys then. Uh, have a blessed one, fellas.